Hello again and welcome to episode 18 of In Gear with the Shop. I'm your host, Reagan Dickinson. Our guest, Jeff Page, is the founder, CEO, and head builder at Heartland Customs in Purcell, Oklahoma. For you geography buffs, Purcell is just south of Oklahoma City in Norman. I believe they call it Sooner Country. Anyway, Heartland Customs is probably best known for its killer resto mod Corvettes, Camaros, and Chevelles, but it's much more than that. Before we find out more and get in gear with Jeff, here's a quick word from the sponsor of this episode, Covercraft. Check it. Since 1965, Covercraft has been the leader in automotive vehicle protection. Car covers, seat covers, dash covers, windshield sunscreens, floor mats, and more. Superior fit and quality have been the standard for over 55 years, and your customers will be back for more when you offer them the best in vehicle protection. Call 1-800-4-COVERS to find out more. That's 1-800-4-C-O-V-E-R-S to find out more. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Well, Jeff, let's start with, I was wondering if you could kind of give me an overview of how the shop and your product offerings have evolved over time, kind of starting at the beginning. Uh, Heartland Customs started in 2007. It was just kind of a a hobby turned into a business. My father and and I, even through high school and stuff, did four by four trucks and Jeeps and all kinds of things like that. We actually, I searched out my mom's first car, which was a 68 Camaro when I was about 14 and actually bought back the exact same car that she bought new in 68. And that was the first, uh, muscle car that I had ever done like a full restoration on. So my dad and I did that when I was about 14, that kind of got the juices flowing on restoring cars. Um, and so her first car when she was 16 was the same car that I drove when I was 16. I've still got that Camaro today. Oh, um, do you really? Yes. Which I joke, I I've got a 14 year old son now and everybody's like, Oh, that'd be so cool. If, if he got to drive that when he was 16 and I was like, well, it's worth a lot more money now than it was when I turned 16. So that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> um, but that was kind of the beginning of the restoration thing for me. I joined the Navy in, uh, 1999 when I got out of the Navy well, actually during during my tour of duty my dad was restoring a 61 Corvette which was his his dream car he was now of age that had the disposable income to be able to build his dream car and I was on a ship on a destroyer halfway around the world and via email I got to help him design it and and choose things and then he was back here in Oklahoma actually doing the the work and fabricating the car um, and then when I got out of the Navy in 2003 I was able to come back here and we were able to finish the car together and what he had done is that was that was really kind of before the term resto mod was even a thing mm-hmm. um, and so uh, he had to you know you couldn't buy a vintage air system to put your modern heat and air and, and defrost in he would he actually had to go source a, a late model OEM unit and figure out how to work the servos and wire it all up and all these things that now we have the luxuries of the aftermarket to take care of. Mm-hmm. He figured all that stuff out on his own and he built this 61 Corvette that had full modern drivetrain and all the creature comforts that we're used to today. And we took that to car shows just as, uh, you know, fans and just to hang out at the show. Well, 
I'm kind of standing there and let's say there's 500 people at the show and there's 400 people standing around this Corvette kind of scratching their head going, you know, what is, what is this with all this modern stuff in it? And my entrepreneur brain starts spinning and going, okay, if, if there's this many people that like this, then there's probably a market for this elsewhere. Um, and that's kind of what got, uh, Cut the idea going of uh, you know starting a company that would take classic cars and and integrate all the modern creature comforts and performance of today's cars, so that you know everybody loves old cars. They just don't like that they drive like old cars. You're getting the best of both worlds. So that's kind of what started Heartland Customs in 2007, and, and that's really kind of what you know got us heading in the direction that we're in now. Okay, I see. And so since that time, what have y'all seen, at least in the marketplace, that has caused you to maybe respond to that market? And what things have changed since you started in 2007? So 2007, like any shop that when you first open the doors, you don't really have a niche per se. Um, Mm. It's really whatever falls in the door and wants to write you a check that'll clear, um, (laughs) you're going to build it. Um, and that's kind of how we were when we started out. Um, we were actually really fortunate during our, our time in business that in the early years, we had a couple businessmen here that were local that wanted to do classic Corvettes. And I don't think anybody back in 2007, 2008 had any idea that Resto Mod Corvette market was going to do what it's done. So we just kind of hit the lottery on that. And by doing mm. those those really nice Corvettes, and they had the budgets to allow us to show our, our skills and our creativity. And we got kind of accidentally in the Corvette niche that way, because I found over the years, if you build a really nice Chevelle, everybody calls you wanting to build a Chevelle. Um, so you kind of get pigeonholed into what model you did. So we did a few Corvettes early on, and that kind of got us niched in to the Corvette market, which I you know, thank God now because the rest of my Corvette market is huge. Um, and that allowed us to kind of be a front runner in that market really early on. Right. And it seems like you're kind of, I would call it Chevy centric. You have that Corvette niche, but you're also, you also do Camaros and Chevelles. Yes. So we started out, um, I kind of saw that, you know, we'd done those Corvettes. We started getting more calls for Corvettes. I always keep my finger on kind of the the heartbeat of the Mecham and the Barrett Jacksons and those higher end auctions. Um, and I could see these resto mod Corvette uh, values, resale values were going through the roof very quickly. I never saw them take a dip. And so I was like, okay, this is where we need to be. This is where we need to focus. Um, and like I said, we got really lucky that we had some really nice cars out there that were basically rolling billboards for our company Mm -hmm. and could show people what we could do. And that was really early on. Uh, The Corvettes we were building back then are nothing like the ones that we're building today. They were really nice cars, but they pale in comparison to what we're we're delivering our customers now. You know, that kind of really got us rolling in that Corvette market. And, And we have, we have branched out into now we're into the muscle car thing. We're doing some Chevelles and, uh, Camaros. We're even doing trucks now. So we are kind of Chevy centric. Um, however, we do have uh, some Fords. We've done some Mustangs in the past, and we've got mm-hmm. a few more on the waiting list to do. Um, so I, I see in the future that we'll probably be branching out a little bit more. Even though we love our we love our Chevys, we'll we'll probably be opening the doors a little wider. 
Okay, I see. So you kind of you got your niche to begin with, and that kind of got your foot in the door, so to speak, so that you were able to get your market going and get people interested in what y'all were doing. It's, that's what it sounds like to me. And so you've been able to expand from there. Absolutely. You you also mentioned that th- those earlier builds kind of pale in comparison to what you're doing now. What is what is the difference between those early ones and how is that quality and how has some of the aftermarket products that you're using in the in your builds how how has that changed over the years too? I think I, I love how the aftermarket has has kind of uh, you know as resto mod became a thing there was obviously entrepreneurs out there that that noticed that and saw that how much that was going to grow companies Roadster Shop and Art Morrison that are building chassis now back when we began there was no aftermarket chassis like you can build or have built today so we would have had to have done all that fabrication from scratch here which to do a one-off chassis is an undertaking in labor standards and that equals an undertaking in budget standards and so things like that and vintage air and and uh, dakota digital with the gauges and and all these great aftermarket companies that are making these fantastic products that now back when we started this you would have had to have been doing all that on like a one-off basis so the budget on the car would have just had to have been astronomical to be able to build what we can build now for a fraction of the cost by no means inexpensive but a fraction of what it would have been right and can you kind of give me an overview or kind of a, a look at what what does the shop itself look like how do you have it organized and is it kind of station to station kind of can you give me a maybe a cliff notes version of what the overall organization of the shop looks like yeah, so I, I I looked at other shops. Obviously, I've I've looked at OEM manufacturing and see how they have things set up. And I really kind of want to structure it in like an assembly line process like that. And so we do have it kind of set up in stations. You know, you obviously have like your we'll come in and do disassembly. Then the vehicle you know goes into media blasting and then goes into the fabrication shop. So we'll have a we'll have a body shop that's completely separate from a fabrication shop, and then we have a wiring and a assembly shop that's completely separate from the fabrication shop. So we have it all kind of split up into stations like that. And we have a very set process that every single vehicle goes in and we, you know, you're always constantly tweaking your process. I think if you're, if you're not making those changes and trying to make the process better and faster and less expensive for the customer, then you're probably you know not doing what you should be doing in this industry. So we're constantly tweaking those things. And sometimes we do switch stuff around and go, Hey, on this next one, let's, let's try doing this first, or let's mock this up, you know, here instead of later on in the process and see if that improves everything. And then if it doesn't, we go back to what we were doing before, but we are constantly kind of evolving the process. We'll be right back with Jeff page after a quick word from the sponsor of this episode, Covercraft. Since 1965, Covercraft has been the leader in automotive vehicle protection. Car covers, seat covers, dash covers, windshield sunscreens, floor mats, and more. Superior fit and quality have been the standard for over 55 years, and your customers will be back for more when you offer them the best in vehicle protection. Call 1-800-4-COVERS to find out more. That's 1-800-4-C-O-V-E-R-S to find out more. Covercraft. Protecting the things that move you. What are some of those tweaks that have made a difference for you? 
I would say the biggest one, um, a lot of people aren't aware, but all the cars that we build at Heartland Customs have a, a set cost. So a lot of shops out there, I would say most shops out there, when they're doing a resto mod or a custom car, they have a time and materials process. So you're paying an hourly rate plus uh, parts and materials. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we quote every single car. It doesn't matter how custom you come in here now. We analyze the build. We put a whole build sheet together and we actually quote it to the penny. So the customer doesn't have to worry about when their wallet's going to quit bleeding per se. So they know day one what they're going to spend. And then they can sit back and watch the vehicle being built and not have to worry about what the final cost is going to be. But when we do that, Obviously, the faster that we can build one, the more it's going to improve the bottom line for the shop. And so, you know, as we go with each build, we're always trying to figure out things that can improve the process, keep the level, the standard um, just as high, the level of quality, but make it faster for us, which two things that increases our bottom line. And it also increases, you know, how fast the customer is going to get their vehicle, which all customers want their vehicles yesterday. So which I would, too, if I was the customer. But um, we've done template and things like that. Say a vintage air mock-up where you used to get the vintage air kits, you had to unbox the vintage air kit, put it up underneath the dash, mock up all your brackets, all those things. Now we know exactly what we have to do in each car. So when we get to the mock-up stage and we're mocking up the vintage air, my mock-up guy grabs the vintage air template, slaps it on the firewall, drills three holes and hangs it back on the wall and the vintage air is mocked up in five minutes instead of half a day. So things like that. Right. And and also, probably the customer experience itself is important because they might have a great build, but if they didn't have a good experience during the process, they might not recommend you. So I'm wondering from your standpoint, obviously, you have satisfied customers. What are the most important elements from your standpoint of a great customer experience? So I would say communication is key. I have a lot of customers that have had multiple cars built in multiple shops around the country. And they said that probably the number one thing that they keep coming back to us and having them do cars is our communication. Mm -hmm. You have to engage a customer when they come in to do, uh, you know, undertake a process like this to build a, a custom car. They want to be engaged. It's You don't want to come in and go, okay, tell me what car you want, what colors you want, and I'll call you when the car is done. Nobody wants that. They want to be part of the process. Um, we have a really in-depth design phase when we do a car for people. Most of them fly into the shop, and we have a design room here that we bring them in. You know, people are, they want that tactile response. They want to smell the leather. They want to feel it. Um, They want to see the paint colors in the sun. They want to see the paint colors under fluorescent lights like their garages, like all those things you need to bring them in and really wrap their head around what they're getting. Because a lot of customers, I would say most customers, know they want this really cool 69 Camaro or 67 Corvette and they want it to drive like their Audi R8 does, but they don't realize what it takes to take a car from 1969 and give them that level of performance and all the custom features. So I really try to bring that customer in and you know, I've got chassis here 
that they can see what's up underneath there and the brake sizes and just every little detail. And then when they're not only they really appreciate that and then they understand more of what it takes to get a car to that level. But then when they're done, they're a lot more proud of that car because they understand that it is this crazy collection of parts and and craftsmanship to make it that way. And it educates them too, because then if they do take it to a car show or things like that, when people ask them those questions, they know all those elements of that car and can intelligently communicate about what their vehicle is. Whereas some cars I'll see at a show and I'll go up and say, oh man, you know, what's the horsepower on that? I don't know. I don't have a clue what they just know. It drives well. It's got a lot of power in the back tires spin easy, but they don't know. So I think that that communication and, and bringing them in, beginning in the design phase before the build and during, you know, if they're a text message person like I am, text message is great for me because I can answer them when it's convenient. If they're a text message person, I always ask them in the very beginning, I'll get their cell phone number. And if I'm back there and it's a cool thing, I might be, you know, sanding a body line where it's just razor sharp and I'll snap a picture and I'll text it to them. They just love that, that they get a picture every now and then just totally surprised about the smallest little details that you wouldn't think people would care about, but they love seeing all those things. So doing that text messaging, our website, they get everybody we're building a car has their own page on their website. So mm-hmm. we update that usually weekly, sometimes bi-weekly if we kind of in a stage where there's not a lot of change that you can visually see. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can always log into that and their friends all around the world can log in and watch the car being built. That's cool. Um, yeah, I think that that customer experience, having all those details and and immersing them in the build as they do it is really good. And then the final things would be delivery and warranty. You know, the delivery, I hand deliver every single car, no matter where. Uh, right now we're building a car for a customer in Saudi Arabia. When that's done, I'll be going to Saudi Arabia and delivering that car by myself. Wow. Uh, it doesn't matter where you're at. I'm going to hand deliver it so that I can show you every detail of the car, how it works, mm-hmm. how to maintain it's it, you know, how to drive it, how to take care of it. The, the paint, you know, we ceramic coat them, but I want them to know what kind of towels to use and what kind of cleaners to use so they don't damage the, the finish and things like that. So mm-hmm. we immerse them in that too, even on the, on the delivery side. And then the warranty, you know, we've been in business since 2007. And if somebody calls me today and goes, man, my alternator went out, Hey, I might've built their car back in 2010, but I'm going to get them an alternator. I mean, that's just a, a small thing. I've never turned away anybody that's called us and had something wrong. And that was, you know, when we were a local company here in Oklahoma, just building cars for local people, mm-hmm. that was very simple to do. Well, now yeah. if you build a car for a, you know, a guy in Great Britain, that makes it a little bit more difficult to just run over there and grab their car and fix something. So we've had to kind of change our warranty model a little bit on how you do that and, and document all that warranty stuff. So everybody's on the same page. I think them knowing no matter what goes wrong, that we're going to stand behind the product and all that makes uh, for a good customer experience as well. What is the most important business lesson that you've learned? I would say definitely adding communication with a customer, just like anybody else. When you get started, you just kind of, you think you come in and they hand you a check and you build them a car and you shake hands and away it goes. And I think a lot of companies still probably function that way. But I think that one of the most important lessons is, is communicating with your customer throughout the whole process. I think it just makes it easier on everybody and you're going to have a lot less issues with customers. There's, there's a lot of customers out there that don't quite 
can't wrap their head around like what we do. So that communication kind of breaks that barrier. Taking a lot of photos, that's another double-edged sword. It, it, uh, gives the customer a lot of visual feedback that their money is being spent well and there's progress being made on their vehicle. And then when they're done, it's it's a cool thing. I always give them like a coffee table hardback book that has the photos in it. So they have some, a lot of them taken with their cars to car shows to show people the process. Some throw them on the coffee table and show them off when they have people at the house. But it's good too, you know, as a shop owner, you always, uh, you know, have to CYA, man. You got to have a good legal contract and those photos and things like that. If you you ever get a customer that tries to come back on you and you know accuse you of something or whatever i mean it's business it happens in every industry that way true those photos are gonna that, that could be your lifesaver because you can show that you did all the steps properly that you were supposed to do build in their car and it'll end a dispute very quickly and that kind of goes hand in hand with having a good legal contract i think when we very first started it was like a paragraph <laughs> and then i typed on word you know and it was right, right. it was more of a handshake deal and as you're in business longer you realize that you know it's a legit business and you've you got to protect yourself and you've got to have that good legal contract and you need to have an attorney write it up and put all the fancy legalese in there that none of us can understand mm-hmm. and and that way if you do run into that situation and if you know this is my advice to any shop owner out there right now it would be make sure that you have a good legal contract so that if you're doing the right things that you are protected from when you run it, and I don't mean if, I mean when you run into a customer that runs into an issue and you have to kind of go down that road, it will happen at some point. You want to be protected. So those are those are definitely the lessons I've learned. Okay, that's awesome. I mean, really good points too. And um, you know what the music means, by the way. Our time is up, but I really appreciate your time. You brought up again some great points. I think some interesting perspective on running the business that that I think is helpful for other people to hear as well. So appreciate your time. I really appreciate it, Reagan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. You can subscribe to In Gear with the Shop through your favorite podcast platform, whether it's SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Please let us know if you have any questions you'd like our guests to tackle or if you have any follow-up questions for this episode. Get the latest on everything automotive aftermarket at theshopmag.com, and you can access past episodes there as well. Just add forward slash podcast to the website address, as in theshopmag.com forward slash podcast. Am I over-explaining this? Probably. Oh, well. Either way, I appreciate you listening, and until next time, Adios amigos. Adios amigos.